Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss Furniture from the 2001 Furniture EP, asterisk, is my first repeat guest, which I guess is appropriate because he was also my first guest uh, ever. It's the author of the 33 and a third book, In on the Kill Taker, journalist Joe Gross. Hi, Joe. How's it going? Hey, man. How are you? I'm great. What's what's new with you? And, and welcome back. Oh, you know, just kind of sitting in my house, like <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just uh, that's kind of it. Um, you know, seeing... Making sure my kids are doing their schoolwork, which happens, you know, sometimes. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I long for a return to precedented times, like many people. Yeah, so I just wanted to say before we talked about Fugazi today, uh, like as a little update, thanks for getting me started being my first guest several months ago. You know, the podcast is growing steadily, and I appreciate you uh, taking a chance on me, like reaching out to you cold and participating. And uh, <laughs> so thanks for that. And thanks for participating again today. Oh, my pleasure, man. It's uh, I, I really enjoy the show. I guess uh, we mainly said what we had to say by way of introducing you last time on the 23 Beats Off episode. You know, you wrote this uh, great book on In on the Kill Taker. So um, we're changing gears a little, talking about a song from elsewhere. And I guess we can just jump right into it because that's out of the way. Um, it's sure. a pretty interesting song, Furniture. And, you know, you're a consummate Fugazi historian. So uh, I'm guessing you know some of the more, what makes this one of the more interesting ones in the catalog? Yeah, this is this is a really, this is an interesting piece of music for them because it embodies a couple of things that they did, a couple of different things that they did throughout their career in different ways. It's one of the first songs that they wrote. I get, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the, it's from 86. So it's from when the band was just Ian and Joe. And I don't know if it was written with Joe or if it was left over from when Ian was writing stuff that didn't quite make it didn't didn't become egg hunt songs because egg hunt was banned for like 20 minutes and uh you know they they it was ultimately it was just a recording with uh jeff and jeff nelson and ian mckay uh that came out on a single but there was an attempt to make it a real band and that kind of fizzled and then ian and joe started playing together and i'm genuinely not sure if furniture uh, dates from before they started playing together or right when they started playing together. But it's one of the first songs that was a Fugazi song. It appears, it appeared in their first show. Um, it appears on their first demo right. and something kind of interesting happened with it. Like they played it all the time for about two years. And then in, at the end of 1989, it just drops out of the set. Like it just kind of vanishes and, um, you know, according to Ian and, uh, yeah, according to Ian, uh, they were like, you know, eight or nine years later, they were playing shows, I guess, around the time of end hits and, um, yeah, the last, the last time, I'm sorry, the last time it was played was May of 1989. 
I had yeah, a show I'm, in Gilman, Gilman Street. Right, May 20th, 1989. Uh, it's the one that yeah. I see, right? And then yeah, not again uh, until November 13th, 1998, which, by the yeah, way, is they're playing on a bill with Promise Ring and Jets to Brazil. Like, what a what an emo fest. Uh, that that would have been a pretty cool show. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, you see that, that, that jump from 89 to 98 is like the entirety of a generation of those bands like in 89 they're playing with at that 89 show at gilman street they're playing with pitchfork who eventually became uh uh drive like jehu in i'm not sure how many of them but some percentage of them became drive like jehu and crash worship who were just this insane outfit and skin flute and vagrants and then, you know, that are all like, you know, that, that's a very California bill. And then you go ahead, you know, you jump ahead over nine years and suddenly it's like an entirely new generation of those of that of that kind of music. Like it's these are, you know, nine years later, these are all bands, Promise Ring, Just Brazil, Compound Red, that were explicitly influenced by fugazi's existence that's true yeah and uh it's just a really funny sort of generational jump and suddenly they just kind of start playing again like they were in rehearsal or something i I, saw an interview with ian once where you know they were futzing around with songs for a tour rehearsing or something and somebody i think it was brendan said why did we stop playing that (laughs) and ian said i can't remember and they started playing it again, and this time with two guitars. And, you know, uh, realized that it was this incredibly good song that they had just kind of stopped. They just kind of forgot about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it's, 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 it's kind of wild. Um, I did not see that coming. You know, when, when that record came out, I was very surprised to see that song pop up again. Yeah, I was, um, I know I had seen it live because yeah at some point i discovered that that it was a thing right when i was starting to get into fugazi i saw them a few times i must have heard it at some point and um and and i was like looked through their records and i was very surprised not to see it because i thought it was a great song and i was absolutely thrilled when they finally released it in 2001 um i was i was just so psyched about that because it's such a it's such a cool jam and it's such a throwback um yeah it's super super old school i mean it's it's literally as old school as the band gets um i think i first saw it in uh a show in dc in 98 with longfish and bald rapunzel Hmm. and i remember even i remember at the time thinking wait a minute i know this song but i've never seen it live i knew it from you know live tapes and stuff but I never seen them play it, and if I recall correctly, the crowd hadn't heard it either, and it was or hadn't heard it in forever either, and was just like, "Holy, this is amazing!" Um, just this total like blast from the past, and it's really cool. Yeah, um, I wanted to mention just because we <laughs> we mentioned Jets to Brazil. I only learned this today, but apparently Blake Schwarzenbach um, bought ian's uh, bought like a marshall amp from ian and used that with uh jawbreaker back in the day so that's just a little tidbit i wanted to mention (laughs) that's you know that's uh that's very fitting it's funny if you look on the back of the 
33 and a third book, the Fugazi book, there's an ad for the jawbreaker book. Um, uh, so yeah, the, you know, Bloomsbury knew knew exactly who they were targeting with, (laughs) with that. It was like, yeah, here, 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 book for emo nerds. Well, that's, that's pretty interesting insight. I don't think I had, I didn't find that interview that you're referring to. And I was wondering that myself for sure. Like why exactly did they stop playing it? And, you know, this, the question that raises also is why did they revive it? And I guess it was just something they actually forgot about. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think if you're a band that has, you know, however many songs, I mean, by 89, they are constantly touring. They're constantly writing and they're just, you know, constantly rehearsing, constantly writing and constantly touring and making records sort of in the space allotted. And I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they just thought, um, I don't know, like we're done with this one. Like this, you know, this is an early song of ours, like The Word or Turn Off Your Guns. And, you know, we just don't, we've gotten everything we can get out of it. Mm-hmm. So let's just move on to, you know, we're writing songs incredibly fast at this point. And, you know, there's just new material appearing, you know, monthly in either in, you know, instrumental form or finished form, you know, you can't play everything. And so you just get out of the habit of playing something. You just kind of stop playing it. Right. Um, I mean, there are songs that I think like just didn't work that fell out of the set pretty early, like turn off your guns. I've never been a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, uh, you know, there are a couple of songs like that that appear on the first demo that, just sort of fell out of the set. Um, but furniture is the only one I can think of that like roared back to life it became just a, a, a pretty big part of, of what they did from like 80 from 98 to 2002. Like they played that song a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was listening to that version on the first demo also. And I was like, well, maybe there's a clue in uh, the question comes up. Why didn't they, release this officially like on the on their first ep um so it strikes me that maybe there's a bit of similarity to waiting room do you think like i think the rhythm is similar um i think the yeah there's even the line when he says uh in the song um sitting in a living room like that that's uh, sitting in the waiting room is a is a very similar line so part of me is like maybe they felt self-conscious about that and they decided to sort of keep that as a as a live number for a while before they sort of dropped it eventually i you know i don't know why it didn't show up on the first ep i think you know there's stuff on the demo that isn't yet that i think was recorded at the time I mean, I I don't know if there if there's like an outtake of of that song from the EP session with Ted Nicely and Ziantara that first record. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. Hmm. Um, I've never I you know if there is I've never heard it. It it's they did that demo of it and it sounds. I mean, it's definitely in that very very early the Stooges on reggae idea of. You know, how do we make punk rock danceable? Yeah, it's um, so dubby, wouldn't you say? Like, there's so yeah. there's tons of echo in the in that yeah, demo especially version. in that in that yeah, the demo is is like very obviously like their sort of you know fake reggae thing. Yeah, 
and it's you know i it's i'm sure it worked live and and after a while it was like eh, maybe let's do something else um uh but yeah it was it was thrilling to hear it come back on the the ep in 2001 i think that in that demo version I mean, it's interesting the way it goes between that sort of dubby sound and then like sort of for the chorus has like, you know, classic Fugazi uh, comes in and it just feels more like who who they really were. There are some elements like it, it is a bit clunky, like the the bass line doesn't seem as competently played as the as the one that was eventually released. The drums, um, it seems like in the chorus, like the snare hits are in like in the wrong place. There's something clunky about it. It doesn't have the groove that I guess they eventually developed. Um, so it's really interesting to have that document to be able to see what they turned it into eventually. And it's also cool to compare it and contrast it with the argument. So apparently they recorded the, the furniture plus two songs EP, uh, more or less at the same time, I think as the argument. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems pretty clear, like why they didn't, put it on that album it's it's just like a very different feel it's like this total throwback to who they were in 1989 1988 87 even and um and you know what what's on the argument is so um yet yeah, it's so complex complicated very mature feeling and this is like this is just a reminder of what they were like when they were a younger band yeah that's a really good point uh, I've always been a little bit bummed that um, it's not on there. Like, I know that the argument is considered of a piece. Like, and you know, I think you know a lot of people think it's their their finest record, um, and it's their definitely their most like worked over as a, you know making a record as a record record rather than here's some songs we're gonna here are some songs you've been working on that we're gonna document which is something that they, you know, sort of struggled with for a long time is, is, you know, making records for them sometimes, according to them was kind of an afterthought. And by the argument, they are making a, you know, they are hanging out in the studio and making a record. And, um, you know, they were not a band known for writing in the studio ever, uh, or almost never, as far as I know, but, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it would have been nice to have furniture, for me, it would have been nice to have furniture on there, because something that I've kind of always liked about their records is there's often one song that they've just, that's old on their records, that's just like, yeah, like, keep your eyes open, uh, you know, it's the fifth song, or sorry, sorry the third song played in, um, you know, in the December 3rd, 87 show after an instrumental version of Lockdown, and an instrumental version of Suggestion, um, KYO is the next song. And, um, you know, Furniture is like the eighth or something. Yeah, they just, there was always, you know, there was often something that, that, that was older on, you know, like Epic Problem. Epic Problem was a riff that they had played with forever. Of course, and yeah. could not, not get, oh, I guess you've probably already covered that. Yeah, of course you have. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and couldn't get right. And uh, finally, they like came back to it. And, um, you know, suddenly there it was. Yeah, I mean, so I guess talking about contrasts and what was eventually released. Yeah, as I said, they, they seem to have refined some things. I mean, they dropped the the sort of dub experimentation 
and they trim down the verses a little. Like, it feels sort of leaner and meaner. Yeah, as you say, they were playing it originally with just sort of Ian playing guitar. Guy's playing on the eventual release in 2001, but I guess they're really doing the same thing, which wasn't so much... I mean, I can't off the top of my head think of another Fugazi song where Ian and Guy both play, and they both play almost exactly the same thing, right? Yeah, the part is basically doubled, right. and um, it's not... You know, I don't. There was there was no reason to fix what wasn't broke. You know, um, it's like yeah, just want you know if you just double that part, it sounds. And that is that is a song that should sound huge. Yeah. Like that is a very sing along song. It's it's very very indicative, you know, lyrically and musically of of their earliest stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with what you say. Like. It's a song that does sound huge and sounds great that way. It's it's one of the most, um, w- when I think of seeing Fugazi live, it, this song is one of the most uh, ones that you really want to jump up and down and just have a great time to. It stands yeah. out in that respect, and it's it's just totally. very fun. Although the, it's not exactly like a a fun <laughs> lyrical song. It's it's pretty interesting, and I I think it's cool to look at in terms of what was going through Ian's minds back in 86, 87, when it was first written. If you didn't know the history of the song and you saw that it just came out in 2001, um, Ian comes right out and he seems to be talking about difficulties in communication and like people not listening to him. And you might think this is a commentary on like his experience as a creative artist with Fugazi. But of course, it it can't be that. I'm wondering if maybe this song is something written reflecting on, you know, being in minor threat and stuff like that. And uh, his experience as a songwriter and maybe being frustrated with people not paying attention to his to his lyrics and just saying, yeah, 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 whatever. I mean, yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely part of it. I think he, you know, he's a guy that I think has always wanted to be known more than anything else as a good songwriter and which he is, but you know, the idea of, you know, punk icon has, is a much larger image than Ian McKay punk icon is a much bigger image than Ian McKay, excellent songwriter. And so I think, you know, if you look at the, yeah, if you look at this, it's definitely sort of like, it definitely feels like it is addressing, you know, the scene on, you know, quote unquote, when he's trying to do something different than he did before. And, you know, and when I say did before, I mean, literally three years before, like minor threat was done by a three um embrace played all of like nine shows 14 shows something like that it's either nine shows or it's embraces nine and rights of spring is 14 i think is like the number of shows that they played in toto Hmm. and uh you know embrace didn't last long because that band was just you know a mess uh but he was trying to do something different from minor threat then and with fugazi he's trying to do something different than what he's doing what he did in those two previous bands and yeah i can very easily see these lyrics 
reflecting, you know, a guy who's, you know, 24, 25, um, who's already had this extremely significant, been in this extremely significant band. You know, there's a great, there's a line in here. What is it? This is a song with no words. Yeah, I'm sure you heard it all before. You heard it before, which is, you know, it sounds very much like a, Oh, that sounds ironic. It's an ironic statement that, um, you know, he's saying to, you actually haven't heard this before. This is something new. Right. And you think you know where I'm coming from, and it's bullshit. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, and the furniture thing, the, the, the analogy um, there, it's, um, you know, there's there. It feels like I've always thought there. It feels like there's a t- almost like a time jump between the line. You know, how many times you felt like a bookcase sitting in the living room, gathering dust, full of thoughts already written, and then there's this little pause, and he says, "How about now?" Yeah, and then the chorus comes back, and it's a very, you know, that that feels re- you know kind of a reflexive moment where he's either talking about him. You know, the songwriter is talking about himself or he's addressing somebody, you know, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about it now? How do you feel about these ideas now sometime later? You know, you're not a you you're not a bookcase. You're not just filled with, you know, ideas that have already been explored. You you and I are both capable of exploring new ideas and that's what I'm doing and that's what you should understand what I'm doing. Yeah. It's a song that's very, uh, that has a lot of tension like between the creator and the, the listener, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. and it's exploring the relationship there in pretty intriguing ways Uh, that, that line, how about now it's, it's like, right. How many times have you, have you felt like a book bookcase sitting in the living room, gathering dust full of thought already written? How about now? Do you feel that way now? I, I always yeah. took it as like, you're okay. You're listening to my creative endeavor. Um, oh yeah. Right. That's a good you, point. You are not creating anything yourself right now. So are you feeling uh, the same thing that I have felt sometimes the, um, the urge to get out there and create and not just feel like, like a receiver of other people's creative endeavors. It's such a neat little question to be asking the person who's listening to your song and like having this uh, almost conversation with the listener. Yeah. Yeah. The, the furniture thing also, it always makes me, every time I listen to this song, it makes me think of this section from the essay on civil disobedience by Thoreau. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to quote that here uh, and you'll probably see why it makes me think of it. So quoting the mass of men serve the state thus, not as men mainly, but as machines with their bodies. They are the standing army and the militia jailers, constables, posse comitatus, etc. In most cases, there is no free exercise whatever of the judgment or of the moral sense, but they put themselves on a level with wood and earth and stones and wooden men can perhaps be manufactured that will serve the purpose as well. Such commands no more respect than men of straw or a lump of dirt. They have the same sort of worth only as horses and dogs. Yet, such as even these are commonly esteemed good citizens. Others, as most legislators, politicians, lawyers, ministers, and office holders, serve the state chiefly with their heads, 
and as they rarely make any moral distinctions, they are as likely to serve the devil without intending it as God. A very few, as heroes, patriots, martyrs, reformers in the great sense, and men, serve the state with their consciences also, and so necessarily resist it for the most part, and they are commonly treated as enemies by it. End quote. So, most people... Uh, are only basically furniture, right? They're they're used by other people, and they that's what they contribute to society. They like they are basically machines, more or less. And there's another class of people that use their intelligence, and there's like the highest class that use their consciences. That certainly resonates to me when I think about Ian Mackay and this song in particular. Um, about the role he tries to play and has always tried to play in the world and, and in the United States of America. It's a, that's a really interesting idea. That's something that always goes through my head. Another thing that always goes through my head, just simply with the first line, do you know, you know this famous painting of the, of the pipe? It's like the surrealist painting just of a pipe on a blank canvas, but underneath it says in French, ceci n'est pas une pipe. Uh, which means this is not a pipe. I do indeed. Yeah, sure. That's a that's a neat little point of comparison. I guess his his point in that painting, uh, Rene Magritte, is that uh, it's it's of course not really a pipe. It's a it's a an image, just a just a representation of a pipe instead of the real thing. I think that I think that line. I think that's an interesting idea. And I mean, for me, that line is always you know, this is a song of no words. No one can, but no one can hear the missing. This song might as well have no words if you are not going to, or like my work might as well have no words if you're not going to accept that I'm changing the way that I write songs, I'm changing the way I look at the world. You know, the 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 biggest um you know the big, sort of the, the a dominant idea from that those very early the very earliest shows is that you know the um, you know the, the first flyer for a Fugazi show? Um, I'm sure you've seen it. It's on the live site. It's on the live uh, Fugazi live series site. The spaghetti one. The spaghetti one that says "Beyond Emo," like right, right in the spaghetti. <laughs> like they knew exactly what they were doing. From like Ian knew exactly what. Uh, I mean, not. I don't mean exactly in the sense of like this is a fixed thing, but in the sense of. I am changing the way that I write. I'm changing the way that I present this music, present my ideas. And, you know, on the, the lyric sheet for the original Fugazi lyric sheet that they would pass out, at least I'm 99% sure of this, there'd be a bar. There was like a little barcode at the bottom that said change on it. Hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that is a dominant theme of those early shows, uh, and those, the earliest Fugazi songs, uh, that song, the word, you know, the, at the very end, it's, you know, the line is the word is the word is in live versions. You will hear him just like scream change. And this is also about that, about, you know, making music, uh, for a group of people that want him uh, to still be the kid in Minor Threat, which, again, only three years ago was he the kid in Minor Threat when he's writing this song. You know, only four years ago when he first plays it, which is the difference between, like, 
2016 and 2020. Um, you know, that's, that's a weird thing to think about is that, um, that's, you know, this, and a a lot of musicians who were once hardcore, hardcore punk, uh, musicians made that transition from the the early eighties to the mid eighties. You know, everybody had a different way of, of, you know, what to do after hardcore. And, um, you know, Fugazi was an answer to that. Side note is for some reason, I think I had always assumed that somebody else had made that flyer for the first show. Was that like them behind that? Did, did Ian draw that or make it? Oh, I have absolutely no idea, but it was still, I mean, it was, it was the flyer for the show. So it was like how they were being represented. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I understand your point that like, maybe they didn't have the beyond email idea, like, but I mean, that is spot on. Like that is exactly. (laughs) And the first time I had never seen that before it showed up, uh, you know, whatever, nine years ago, uh, on the site. Um, I'd never seen that flyer. And that blew my mind that like as early as September of 1987, they were like, you know, how do we move beyond emo? And it was like, well, you have no idea. And then, you know, again, jump ahead 11 years to that show where they bring furniture back with the promise ring. And it's like, well, the idea changed, uh, but the, you know, the tag for it did not. Yeah. That's a great observation. Thank you. Something else um, just very recently reminded me of this also, Um, you know, we're speaking sort of at the end of uh, November, 2020 here. And a few days ago, a piece came out in the guardian about discord. Um, This, this is maybe something that you've read, there's like a, a few quotes from Ian Mackay in it. Uh, one of them that seems pretty relevant is, uh, quote, Do you know what I call an unplayed record? A piece of fucking trash. It's paper and plastic. So if I make something, I want to make sure it adds value. So this is something that yeah, totally. made me think of the, the whole line about the bookcase, right? It's he's He's conjuring this image of a bookcase just sitting there in a room gathering dust, and it's full of it's full of books, like things that people worked hard on uh, and put their thought and intelligence into. But in this song, it's just sort of sitting there collecting dust because nobody's paying attention to it. No, I mean you're no, you're right. You're you're spot on, and it's I mean it's a great example of just one of those things. You know, one of the values that he has embodied that has stayed, you know, 100% fixed. It's like, you know, that I, yeah, you make a great point. The idea is exactly the same that if, you know, if, if something is not engaging with, if, if there's, if there's, if the message has no receiver, there's kind of not much point. Um, and, you know, so you want to make messages that, that people, uh, you know, that, that people will engage with. And it's also kind of funny, given that in 1986, books, records, VCR tapes, physical media were the way people engaged with ideas. And now, you know, many, many years later, uh, digital culture and the uh, Internet uh, have, you know, given you a tremendous amount of information at your disposal that doesn't actually have to take up any space, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a striking, uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, that's what I thought when I, I saw that. 
It's like, yeah, I guess, you know, it's records at this point are for people who really like records. <laughs> and music is for, you know, the position of music. Well, we can do another six hours on how the position of music and popular culture has changed in the past 20 years. But um, it, it, I just thought that was kind of a funny idea that he was like, yeah, it's a fucking waste of paper and plastic. And, you know, and, the, and but at the same time, there are plenty of, of artists who are like, I don't have to print anything. You know, if I, you know, this, my stuff can exist on, you know, Bandcamp or uh, whatever and, and take up no space at all. Um, but that's a much more, that's a, sorry, that's a different idea. Um, no, it's, it's super interesting because it, that does lend a new dimension to this image of the bookcase in this song. Because like, what's, you know, if you have a bookcase full of books just sitting there gathering dust, I mean, at, at least at least you walk past those every day. At least there's like something you might glance at on the shelf and say one day, you know what? I, I, I want to pull this book out and read something, or I remember something interesting from this book. I'm going to just at least try to go to that page and find what it was. Um, whereas if, if all your media is in your computer, like a collection of MP3s or eBooks or whatever, there's not even that. It's just sort of like well, hidden yeah. away in a device somewhere. I mean, I think something that's been very frustrating for people, for some people, um, about the pandemic is, you know, you people are spending, for obvious good reasons, and they should continue to do so, and for God's sake, wear a mask all the time. But something that I think is very missed by people who love engaging with ideas in lots of different ways is the physical act of browsing in yeah. a bookstore or record store or, or something like that. Because digital culture is, you know, digital culture is great when you know what you want. It's not so great if you don't know what you want. And if I, and it's just one of these problems that, you know, places like, you know, Bandcamp and Spotify, even though those are two very different ways of engaging with, with music, um, have tried to solve is how do you, you know, how do you introduce someone to something that they don't know that they would be interested in? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like the act of going into my local record store and going up into the like recently arrived bin, the used bin for recent arrivals and flipping through completely randomly filed records, you know, there's no better way in the world to get ideas for what you might be interested in you know if you if there's like a fugazi record and a ray charles record and you know a bella lugosi novelty album i don't know if <laughs> bella lugosi ever actually made novelty records but you know if you're if or, or you know like a bauhaus record well we'll do that like you know fugazi ray charles bauhaus and like john kale all in a row you're going to think you might think, Oh, geez, I want to find this one Ray Charles record that I've never heard and go over to the Ray Charles section. You would not have that idea. If you were going to a website and typing in Fugazi, it would say things like, you know, you'd get like one of those radio algorithms that that's like, you know, when you, I think it's on Spotify, when you play one, like if you pick one song to play, uh, it will then like, use its algorithm to start playing other things it thinks you'll like, mm -hmm. uh, which is fine. And that's great. But let's not pretend that that's different from 
an iPod that you filled up three years ago with 10,000 songs and hit shuffle, you know, you know what I mean? Or the radio playing something randomly back to back. It's, it's just not the same. And you're right in that, you know, that, that bookcase is there. You can still see them and you can still think, boy, I should take that off the shelf. But if it's all digital, you're not looking at it all the time. Yeah. And that was a very long winded way of it's it's true like that that's cool that Spotify and similar services can do that but that only goes so far right like presenting you with other stuff yeah. that it thinks that you will like because for example I've discovered so many bands and and artists by say like reading an interview about uh, another musician's influences which are often completely different like you know you hear like a punk musician talk about being influenced by Joni Mitchell or something and like you'll go yeah, and totally. check out Joni Mitchell and it sounds nothing at all like like that music that you already like but it's it's something that steered you in that direction and similar to you know what you say about browsing in a in a physical store similar to like going to a show and like I mean how many times have you seen a band on a bill that you've never heard of before because you're there for the for the headliner and been blown away like these guys are yeah. great yeah, no, that's, and that's, you know, that is another thing that, you know, I hope comes back uh, sometime in my lifetime, but, you know, who yeah. knows at this point. Well, yeah, here's hoping. One other thing I wanted to get in there is um, just to compare this song and this episode of the podcast to the one for Burning. Um, I think in that episode I uh, referred to Furniture because I feel like those two are sister songs in a way and one of them is is Ian talking about difficulties in communication the other is Guy and so in burning uh, Guy sings I wanted a language of my own my lips were sucked empty and I mouthed the lines of this crowd that surrounds me it seems to be getting at a similar feeling of a, a lack of original thought or at least a lack of a way to be able to express your original thoughts and be understood. So uh, just think it's a good point of comparison if you're uh, interested in doing that dive. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's an interesting idea. I don't know if this is actually true. I need to track down video of this song to prove this, but I would swear that the last lines of this song, uh, you know, I think you already know where I'm coming from right here. Mm -hmm. I would swear, and maybe you can confirm this, that it, like at this climax, Ian would often point in a way that only like a very earnest 25 year old could, he'd point to his heart, like with a, like the, that, you know, you might not understand where this music is coming from based on the stuff that I've always done. But at the end of the day, it's still, you know, it's still coming from me. It's still coming from my heart. Spiritually and, uh, direct, as he said in And the Same. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, and that's a whole other, like, that's a whole other discussion. But um, yeah, it's, I, I swear I read that somewhere or yeah. heard it from somebody and I, you know, I will, I will try to try to find it again, but I, that always struck me. I mean, I, I don't think I ever saw him do it when they brought the song back, but those early shows, like I'll, I'll poke around YouTube a little bit. I'd swear he'd point to his heart 
which I think fits in with the idea of the change thing we talked about earlier, where, you know, the music I am doing, the music this band is doing, it's not the same as Embrace. It's not the same as Minor Threat. It's not the same as Rites of Spring. Um, it's We're trying to do something new. We're trying to push the way we view the world in new directions, but I'm not going to ever present something that I don't believe in myself. Just an idea. Throwing it out there. I guess um, if you want, uh, we could talk about, for this one, ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? As a returning guest on this show, you know what that's all about. You care to rate this song uh, on a scale of one to five stars in the context of the Fugazi catalog? Oh, I think it's a five. I think it's amazing. I think it's a fantastic early song. I can, you know, like you said earlier, I can see why, you know, it's it's not fully formed on the demo. And then it gets played for about two years and they sort of drop and they bring it back. And it feels revitalized. And, it fe- and yeah, it's not as lyrically sophisticated as later stuff. Um, and you know, must have you know, probably stuck out like a sore thumb if you'd never heard it before in 1998 when they started playing it again, because it sounds like you know, kind of a different way of putting a song together. But it's just such a banger, and it's um, you know, I think I, I, I am loath to quote myself because that's kind of gross, but. Uh, you know, something that I always, I can't remember where I wrote this, but something, I said something about how like no band has ever said bullshit as well as they did. And, uh, that song is, is, is that song is, is what that, that's what this song is about to me is, you know, looking directly at people that you're talking to and saying, you know, bullshit. No, that you don't have the, you don't have the right idea about me, but we will get to we will get to a place where we're communicating better yeah yeah that's amazing i think i think i would call it a five star song too it's it uh, it's a very joyful song it gives me a lot of joy and it always has like from the first time i heard it wherever i heard it to when i found out that they were finally releasing it it's great to jump around to. Reminds me of the days when we could go to concerts and see live music and yeah, and see seriously. Fugazi uh, specifically. Uh, those were just great times. Yeah, banger is a great word for it. Um, to shout out a couple things I forgot to mention that I like about it. It's really cool hi-hat shit happening in the drums. Um, the mm. bass tone is, is so great. It's like perfect. Like The bass is amazing. Yeah, textbook Joe sounds. Yeah. One interesting thing about the the final, um, the, the actual official release too is when Ian says the line, furniture has no say in life, just that one part, that's almost the most pleasant he has ever sounded on a Fugazi record. Like just something about the, the tonality of his voice there. It's it's so nice. You know, it's a little little break from uh, the, uh, the, from, the classic from the Yamaka sergeant. delivery. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah, all those all those things come together. Uh, yeah, I think I'll say five stars also. And of course, you know, not to mention that um, it is, yeah. Even though the lyrics are a little simple, they're thought provoking, and yeah, they they remind me of uh, of uh, other thinkers like uh, Thoreau, etc. So yeah, that's that's a good thing right there in my book. Totally. To check around online, 
see if I find any covers. There's an interesting video of Cold War kids doing this live. Uh, terrible sound quality, but uh, interesting oh, that they wow. did it at least. Um, <laughs> so I, I couldn't, I didn't really immediately see anything else uh, as far as covers go. But uh, I mean, if I were in like a, a snotty garage rock band right now, it's uh, <laughs> there's certainly worse songs you could choose to uh, to cover. Just a couple of comments totally. from social media. Friend of the show, Conan Neutron, says, kind of astounding it didn't make uh, make it on a record uh, earlier. Right up there with the best of the early stuff. Total jam. And Colin Mack says, this is this is neat. Worth noting, Ian references furniture again in Cash Out. Mm, yeah, it is a good yes, catch. Yes, uh, totally. That's good catch. A song yeah. from the aforementioned The Argument, which was recorded at the same time as this uh, and yeah, he's, he's just not furniture's out on the sidewalk, right? Like getting rid of the furniture. It's almost like a, like bookends to their career. Uh, the two little Man, furniture totally. references. So yeah, very much so. Good call Colin. Like that's a nice, uh, observation that I didn't really notice myself. Yeah. Good pull. Good pull. Good pull. So how about plugs? Anything new to talk about? Anything uh, you're working on recently or otherwise you just want to tell listeners where they can reach you? Well, I could use a job. I don't, uh, I, I, I am no longer, uh, uh, I'm no longer with the Austin American Statesman for, um, I got, I got laid off at, at uh, sort of in May of, of, of pandemic time. So I'm uh, poking around for, I've done some freelance stuff for the New York Times recently and Texas Monthly. And those, those turned out pretty well, I think. Um, so yeah, I don't, I actually don't have a thing to plug at the moment. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Joe gross. Um, that's, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me is, is Twitter oddly enough, um, at Joe gross. And, um, you know, we can, we can go from there. Right on. I don't technically have a job either right now, but, uh, Hey, anybody out there who's listening, who's looking for, uh, somebody to talk about Fugazi for a living, uh, get in contact with, uh, with Joe instead of me. Um, and, uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's very <laughs> pay, kind pay him, of you. Pay him ridiculous amounts of money to talk about Fugazi and, and music, <laughs> uh, uh, please. Uh, uh yeah. So <laughs> yeah, instead of that, uh, you know, my plugs are, again, spread the word about the show if you can, and uh, tell a friend, whatever. You can email me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi. Tell me your interesting observations about upcoming songs that I have never noticed before. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the show when we'll be discussing Give Me the Cure. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last thing.